This podcast has been made possible by Planful and U.S. Bank. Hello, this is Mark Sager and CFO and head of strategy at Artool, and you're listening to the CFO Thought Leader Podcast. This is episode 568. It's Jack Sweeney. On today's show, we speak to Lanny Baker, CFO of Eventbrite. Now, attention, strategy-minded finance executives. Now, hopefully that's you. We've designed this podcast with you in mind. So my announcement here is really more of a recommendation. Listen to this episode from the start to finish. You're going to find uh, multiple takeaways, whether you're... Uh, a finance leader peer of Lanny's or uh, an aspiring finance leader. And in fact, there are a number of takeaways uh, for me. And so as I turn to other finance leaders with our questions, I can do so perhaps with a little more confidence. (laughs) Knowing this set of questions can bring forth a powerful leadership narrative like Lanny's. Yes, that's what I want to bring more your way. Our talk with CFO Lanny Baker begins after this. In an ever-changing world, it can be tough to keep up with the latest FP&A trends and innovations that keep you ahead of the game. Luckily, there's a podcast for that. Tune in to Being Planful, the podcast for finance leaders and planning experts, and stay in the know about what's happening in planning and forecasting. Guests like influencer Chris Ortega, Boston Red Sox CFO Tim Zhu, and Brian Lapidus of AFP will keep you up to speed on how you can put finance in the driver's seat this year. Find the full episodes at beingplanful.com or wherever you get your podcasts. P.S. Think you might make a great guest on the show? Shoot host Rowan Tonkin an email at beingplanful at planful.com. experiences they feel prepared them for a CFO role. What comes to mind for you? Well, it certainly wasn't my education. I was a history major in college. Um, and I, as, as I re- 
believe I even took a single math or economics course. So what really prepared me was the time I spent on Wall Street. I was a sell-side research analyst for a period of 15 or 16 years covering media companies and Internet companies, and that was just a great training ground for me. That's probably the single best preparation I had for becoming a chief financial officer. Now, when do you, though, step in uh, as an operator? When do you, when do you join a business uh, and step into the finance function of a corporate environment? Well, that, that was a big surprise for me. I had My career on Wall Street was, was wonderful. I, I really enjoyed the access that I had to both executives and to the capital markets and to investors. Um, I got to work on the IPO of Google. I got to work on the merger of AOL, Time Warner. It was just a great experience. Um, and I thought I was well prepared from, from all those times on Wall Street to step into the corporate environment. And uh, But it was, it was a big change and a big surprise for me. I learned a lot very, very early on after having made that transition. But for me, the motivating factor was I found that the, my time on Wall Street became a little bit repetitive and redundant, and I felt my learning curve had really started to flatten out. One of my early mentors had made the leap from being an analyst to becoming a chief financial officer, and her comment was that uh, as a CFO, you continue to be able to do one of the things that you do as an analyst, and that is thought leadership. But as a CFO, you take on a couple other important leadership opportunities. One is leading people, leading your finance team, and, and uh, ultimately having an influence broader than just the financial organization. And then moving through people leadership to results leadership um, was, was an opportunity that, that really called to me. So the transition for me from Wall Street to the corporate environment was this opportunity to expand the number of playing fields in which I could start to learn and, and advance my career. Uh, and, boy, it was, like I said, it was, a, it was about the cold water when I first stood in front of the 130 people that I managed when I became the chief financial officer of Monster. I hadn't, I hadn't managed, you know, more than two or three people at any point on my time on Wall Street. So that was quite a leap for me. But it was really the, the – for me, it was the reason why I stepped into the operating environment was specifically to learn about leading people and leading results. Now, did you join Monster as the CFO, or was there an interim period? I joined as the chief financial officer at Monster. Uh, it was a company that I had covered for a number of years, and I knew the management team very well. I knew the business very well. Um, and they had a, they came to me and said, we'd like to talk to you about being the chief financial officer. I was living in California at the time, and the company was headquartered in New York. I said, that's a really neat, interesting idea, but unless you're going to move Monster to California, there's no way I'm going to do that. But it sat in the back of my mind for the next two weeks and six weeks and eight weeks, and finally I called him back and said, hey, you know, we should talk, we should have this conversation, and maybe I would uproot my family and move back east for this opportunity. And so, yeah, my, my first day on the job at Monster was my first day in the finance organization of any, or, of any company. Um, and like I said, it was quite a plunge in the pool. Now, uh, Lanny, I wanted to mention the fact that you've, been, you've had several CFO tours of duty, including uh, Zip Realty, Yelp, and now at Eventbrite. What immediately strikes me, and, and you add Monster to that, these are very different businesses. Or would you uh, point out some commonalities for us? Oh, that's a, that's a great question. Um, I, I see them as common. They are, they're all Internet companies or digital, you know, digital disruptors in their own way. Um, and they, for 
they have linkages to the consumer. Um, and that's something that just fascinates me. Um, I, one of the things I tell my kids, I have four kids, I tell them all the time, uh, you have to show up for life. And, you know, I feel that all the companies I've worked for are about helping people show up for big moments or big things in their life. Uh, Monster is obviously about your employment, your career. Zip was about where you live, and a home is such a transformational moment in, in people's lives. Yelp is all about uh, getting out and finding new restaurants or exploring a new city. And Eventbrite, we're bringing, you know, I think today there will be half a million people going to live experiences around the world on the event, you know, having received tickets off the Eventbrite platform. I love being part of that. I love, you know, engaging with, uh, with consumers. Uh, so they're all digital companies and all in that consumer realm. We want to talk to you perhaps a little more about your career later on in what we refer to as the mentoring round. Uh, but right now, let's jump to Eventbrite. Uh, and again, with uh, a number of these really interesting and well-known companies that you've been part of in the past, uh, the notion that you jumped to Eventbrite, the opportunity that you saw there, the types of offerings that this company has, tell us about it. Well, as I just said a second ago, I'm really inspired by the company's mission to help creators host live events and uh, bring people together and bring communities together for these, you know, important life moments and, and life experiences. Um, and that just that speaks to me personally. Uh, it really inspires me. And one of the things I've found in joining Eventbrite is that it clearly inspires and, and motivates the the people, the employees of this company are super engaged and, and, and really passionate about our mission. Um, as I looked at it from a, you know, I'm a, I always tell people I'm a recovering research analyst, and when I put my research analyst hat on and I look at this company amidst all the different opportunities that are out there, I'm really fascinated by the, the opportunity that Eventbrite has. There's some very sort of nearby uh, growth vectors that we're currently pursuing. Those are expanding the, the presence of our uh, event creator platform across different categories of events, from music events to food and wine events to charity events to religious events to uh, educational events to business conferences. I mean, there, there are so many categories across which we continue to scale by making small adjustments and additions and enhancements to our product feature. And it's really exciting to me to see such a, a, a powerful digital platform that has applicability across so many categories, and there's tons of runway for us. Um, a second interesting thing about it is that there's a, another vector, which is countries. Um, today, uh, I think in 2019, I just looked up the stats, we uh, supported events that happened in 50 different countries, 25 different currencies on the paid side of our business, and on the free side of our business, which is even bigger. I believe there were uh, events ticketed in over 150 countries on the Eventbrite platform. We haven't commercialized. As I said, we we're only making money in about 50 of those countries. Um, and even today, the, the top handful, maybe five or six countries, are the bulk of our economics. But there's a really exciting opportunity through, through years for this company to continue to expand our footprint into new countries. Um, there's, a, there's another sort of... Uh, opportunity that's like that, which is expanding across creator segments, um, and that's from the sort of the free creator that where where it's the the person who's organizing the event is also on the stage um, to the to the 
you know, the organizer who's got somebody else performing on stage, to the paid organizer, to the person who owns the venue and is booking events into their venue. So there, there's also this customer segmentation across our business that we continue to build, build product into and expand our opportunity. And that, those sort of three vectors of growth are all the nearby ones. There are a couple really big transformational opportunities for this company around the data that we capture coming out of events, the insight that we have about what makes a successful event, how you can tell when your event is in danger, when you need to do more marketing, have you priced your tickets correctly. Um, all of those are, are sort of supercharging opportunities for us to really capture the data and turn it into either consultative services to help creators be successful or use it to inform the evolution of our product platform. And then looking even beyond that, um, the, the, the really you know, the, the sort of distant and transformational opportunity would be to activate the demand side of our marketplace. Today, Eventbrite's primary customer is the event creator, and we have an enablement platform that is easy, reliable, and full service for people to put on events. We actually have a very popular consumer platform as well, where people are on our app discovering events, or we are distributing events from our creators out through social media and other networks. And we are building a, an increasingly strong demand-driving side of the business. It's not commercial for us. We don't make a whole lot of money there right now. Um, but in the, in the longer-term vision that I have when I look at this company is there is really a two-sided marketplace. So, you know, in my, in my research and thinking about uh, all kinds of different opportunities, um, it's rare to find a company that's got such a simple product um, such a strong business model, and then so much long-term runway uh, of multiple vectors of growth that really can be transformational. So, so between the mission that inspires me and those growth opportunities and then the team that's been built here, um, I've gotten to know Kevin, the founder, and Julia, our CEO, um, and other members of the team, and I've watched talent come into this company over the last year. Um, it's really fun to be part of, of a top-notch executive team pursuing everything I just described. Now, let's get focused on the finance team for a second here. You, you described a lot of data-rich strategies. I'm wondering if there are certain skill sets that you are looking to beef up, no doubt, most likely. But did you have to reorganize in any way the finance team or function? <laughs> you know, I'll tell you a funny story about the finance function. No, I have not had to re reorganize the finance function. Um, the, the outgoing chief financial officer uh, who built the team uh, is somebody I've known for uh, probably more than 20 years because when I was a research analyst, he was one of the most effective and prominent investors, and he was one of my uh, customers, I guess, way back when. Um, so, so I feel really lucky to have joined a company where I landed with a strong team in place. Um, but I'll tell you, the, the, the funny story I was going to tell you is that um, I think many finance organizations, certainly in public companies, produce what's called a flash report. And it's typically like the finance team's first dipstick into the, how did we do last month? And it's usually turned over to the, to the CEO and to the board of directors to give people a sense of how things are pacing. And I asked, and when I got here, I said, hey, can you show me the flash report? And I got a 57-page PowerPoint presentation back from the finance team. Um, <laughs> In my experience, the flash report is you're lucky if it's longer than an email. Um, it's usually one or two cables. It's headline numbers. It's produced in fast and furious fashion. It's not always super accurate, but it's a, but it's a pretty good read. Um, 
And what I received instead was, you know, talk about data rich. Uh, it was, by the time we got to page 57, I mean, we were talking about, like, a, a, one of our smallest countries and some of the most, you know, sort of in-depth, detailed data that was both not really super informative and clearly not very actionable in any way that was going to have an impact. And so one of the things I did with our, with our team was really quickly say, hey, this is great work. I'm, I'm impressed by your ability to collect this and correlate it, all of it. But it's far, far beyond what we need from a flash report. Um, it was taking us probably a dozen days to produce that. I said, look, instead of 57 pages over 12 days, I'd like – uh, 57 lines over two days because um, we need to be able to know much more quickly what the top-level direction is. And so one of the things that I've been – I've kind of found that all throughout the company, um, that we are – we're in that stage of like sort of post-startup but not yet sort of entrenched operating machine. Um, and there is a lot of – we have a lot of data in our business um, and really trying to – I'm trying to bring focus. I'm trying to call things down to – that really the grist uh, of, of the numbers. Um, you know, it's, it's like I was describing this morning to our, our senior leadership team that in any financial plan, there are tons and tons of numbers. There are all kinds of handholds on your way up the cliff. Um, but, but, but standing at the bottom of, of, of the year, looking up at the mountain that you want to climb, figuring out where the crux of the climb is, what's that one focus point that you have to achieve and when you achieve it, you know you're gonna, everything else is going to come together. I'm trying to drive that level of sort of singular focus. Um, yes, there's 57 pages of data, but there's only one page of data that we really need to make decisions that are going to affect how things happen next month or next quarter or even in the coming year. So, so uh, I've been, I haven't had to reorganize people as much as I've been reorganizing and reprioritizing the workflow uh, a little bit away from data away from the noise to distilling focus and what's the signal that we need to be paying attention to. Well, the, the, the sort of that notion of a, of a flash report, is there a broader application for that? It sounds like the flash report you're referring to is really for senior management, whereas other parts of the organization, there are other numbers that they might want to, you know, have part as their flash report. Um, am I? Is this uh, likely, or are you already doing something similar, perhaps? No, it's a great question. I, I think a lot about. I try to organize finance teams' work uh, and the finance team itself according to our customers. Um, and generally speaking, I, I, I try to think of there being probably four main customer sets. Um, there are the product folks and the marketing folks. Um, and they often need to be supported with quick reads on data that's an A-B test. We tried this. How did it work? What's our, you know, should we, should we keep doing it? Should we stop? Should we try something else? Um, and, and that's typically within the finance organization, like I, the biz ops, the business, business operations role, where um, the customer base for that part of the finance organization is usually product people, marketing people, and sometimes it's the sales organization. Um, the next big part of the finance organization is the financial planning and analysis team. And their customer set is very often, uh, the way I think about it, it's the C-level executives and it's the functional leaders within the organization. And the product that those people need is uh, reliable, credible information that helps them make decisions. 
Um, the next customer, the next part of the finance organization is our kind of the finance and accounting wheel hub. Their customers are our employees, making sure they get paid, our vendors, making sure they get paid, and our customers and making sure we get paid by them. And so that part of the organization is very operationally focused. And then you get to investor relations who are their customers are, are our investors. Um, and I try to organize both the, the structure of the team, the work that we produce, the reports, um, according to sort of those four main buckets of things. So, uh, yeah, the flash report is sort of the first thing that goes out from the finance team each month. It goes to the C-suite. That's quickly followed up by the monthly reporting package and the reforecasting, and that goes to the C-suite. It goes to the board of directors. It also goes to the functional leaders to help them plan what's coming next month. Um, and then at the end of the quarter, uh, the, that set of products becomes what drops into our external SEC and investor reporting and goes out the door in that direction. Um, so I, I try to create like a nested series of increasingly detailed reports that take a little bit more time to refine them and polish them. Uh, the ones that are sort of done first are the ones that are intended to be most actionable, uh, and the ones that take a little bit more time are the ones that, that typically wind up on the shelf for people to read uh, as they're learning about the company later on. Now, what you just described, is that uh, something that's evolved for you over time, you know, from one company to the next, and, and uh, it's probably uh, matured as technologies matured and allow you to get to more numbers more, more quickly? Well, it's, it's definitely something that's matured or sort of evolved over, over time for me. Um, I, I would be, I, I got to tell you, when I came off of Wall Street, I, I didn't have a very clear picture of uh, how a finance organization ran. Uh, I, I've since spent a lot of time uh, meeting with other CFOs, uh, meeting with uh, other CEOs, uh, and just trying to glean best practices um, from other organizations and build my own logic. Um, I've learned a lot from people that I've hired who have shown me how to build these structures. Um, and so my thinking about how to organize a finance team and how to organize a finance product is, is the product of having done this for 15 years. Uh, I, I have learned a lot over the years, which is, you know, which is frankly why I came here uh, from the first place. The reason I left Wall Street was to learn about a whole new, a whole new career. Uh, it's taken me a lot of time. And I'd say, as I reflect back on it, I'd say that the, the thing that has been most valuable to me um, has been making great hires and then really listening to the people that I've brought on uh, for what they've seen in their careers, what they've, what's worked well for them, and, and working with them to modify those to, to fit the environment or the company that I've been in. You've described up front uh, the different data strategies, or you touched on how important that those pools of data are really that you have available to you. Is finance going to have a stake in that? Or will that be more in the marketing realm? I mean, in certain organizations, finance is more passive than others. Others explain a much more active role, I suppose, with the data. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the big roles for the finance team uh, is to make sense of the vast sea of data, um, to, to pull out of all the numbers and all the all the spreadsheets the message. Um, and uh, I, I really I, – I have focused – all the, all the finance teams that I've led on uh, on this idea that numbers are one thing, but narrative is really what matters. Um, and so it's not our job just to turn out, you know, spew out all the calculations. It's to pro 
provide and to work with the with the leaders of the organization, the, the, the feet on the street, the people on the front lines, to figure out what are the numbers telling us about our business, about our market opportunity, about our customers, about our employees, where we're creating value, where we should be headed next. Um, and so I really charge, you know, I, I charge the finance team with um, making sure that the data isn't just the exhaust of the organization, it's the fuel of future decisions. Um, and uh, I, I guess in my career I've found that when, when uh, finance people are just turning out the data, they get tired. Uh, team, you know, I, I can see it in their eyes. I can see it in their, in their posture. It becomes just a data drag. Um, but when, they, when the finance team becomes closely integrated with the people on the front lines, um, it sort of everything starts to come to life. The numbers are part of the narrative. The numbers provide context and, and pace and speed and rate, and, uh, and that's the time when I, I've, I've found finance organizations are able to contribute the most to the, organ to, to the full company. Now, I'm curious about uh, visibility into the customer, and before you were describing about all that data that uh, I think it was almost like benchmarking you were talking about, because uh, it, let me run this by you to see if this was in part what you were getting at. I was imagining that a customer who wants to hold a certain sized event in a certain industry, in a certain geography, you folks would have a lot of data that would reveal how such an event could, you know, the registrants could, could flow in at what speed or how, how what they could expect, how it, how it would mature online. Uh, is that something of what you were getting at? Yes, that, that's part of what I'm talking about. Um, earlier in 2019, we launched a product that was delivered originally by email where we sent out messages to creators, giving them advice on how to price their events um, and when to change the price of certain tickets for their events. Uh, when we launched that back in June, I believe, we had about 25,000 creators who updated their ticket prices based on the emailed insights that we provided to them about what would be the optimized price. About a month ago, we took that same logic and we baked it into the dashboard that our creators look at when they log into their Eventbrite account. And in the last two months, over 100,000 creators have changed prices for their events based on pricing insights that we've delivered to them based on the data that we see across the full breadth of events all around the world. And the real payoff is that those 100,000 creators that changed prices have seen a 57% increase in gross ticket sales based on some of the information that we gave them. So uh, those are huge numbers, uh, and those are huge opportunities um, that, that our finance team is very much part of doing the analysis to test the statistical rigor uh, on, on things like that that we can deliver to our customers. Okay. Very interesting. You explained it very well, but it's it's a it's an example that I think is easily grasped. Where you you know you're collecting this data, but it's not just about supplying insights to uh, to the organization or to your team. It's about turning it around and uh, supplying it to your customers as a as a competitive advantage, and to have the finance team involved in that. I mean, that's that's what we want to be talking about today. So thank you uh, for sharing that. I feel as though you've uh, you've already shared a, a few finance strategic moments 
us. Uh, but I want to ask the question forthright, as we always do. And again, this is where your lines of sight into the organization during the course of your career allowed you to see an opportunity, a risk, and as a finance leader, you responded. What, what comes to mind when we ask for a finance strategic moment? Um, well, there have, been, there have been many of those because that's really what I, I try to bring to the fore as a, uh, as a finance leader. Um, and it's, it's sorting through the data to, to come up with those aha moments. Um, but, but I guess as I think about the role of being a chief financial officer, um, the, the biggest aha for me from a strategic perspective over my career has been the recognition that um, in addition to the data and the systems and the financials, the thing that really supercharges a finance organization's opportunity to contribute to the business is its connection to the people on the front lines. And, and sort of the, the big strategic aha for me as a finance executive, um, and, and this is, you know, kind of coming from Wall Street, I thought everything was about spreadsheets. Um, and what I've learned inside finance organizations that I've been part of is that it's really the human component. It's really the, it's the anecdotal information. It's the, it's the personal relationship between my finance team and the operational leaders or the field uh, field teams that, that is, I, I kind of describe it as, as the goo. Um, there is, there's the numbers and there's the data, um, but often the insight really comes from structuring the finance team so that it can capture the anecdote, the, the feeling, the sentiment, the shift, the trend. Um, and so the, the insight that I had was that um, there, you can go down the road of trying to perfect your data and your data warehouse and your data mart and your financial systems and your chart of accounts. Um, and all those things are important, and they're table stakes. They certainly help the finance organization perform. But for me, what, what the big aha has been by placing finance executives out in the organization. I do this particularly with the FP&A team um, and create almost like a, a junior CFO for our marketing team, a co-pilot sitting in the cockpit with our sales leader, um, and and you know, distributing the finance team as close as I can get them to the business decision makers and the front lines has really been the thing that has enlightened the finance organization and made it a much stronger contributor to the company. I realized this, uh, I, I saw this at Monster. Um, we had a, I had a very strong field uh, uh, finance person working for me in the North American sales business, and, and I continually was having better insight about that part of the business than anywhere else, and it wasn't the data, it wasn't the systems, it was the closeness of that finance executive to the people on the front lines. Um, when I was at Yelp, uh, I brought in a leader of the, of the financial uh, FP&A group who, who did the same thing. He staffed a person uh, in our restaurant group, in our home services group, in our enterprise group, um, and often this requires having a finance team that's not even located with the rest of the team. Uh, and so uh, I've, I've had uh, really important, sometimes the most important people on the finance team have been across the country or even outside of the country um, because they need to sit right next to uh, the leaders in the field. And, and often what comes back then is every decision that the leader might be considering is bounced off of their finance partner. And I asked that finance partner to radio back to base. What are they thinking about? What are they looking at? What are they seeing? What are they feeling? What are they hearing? Um, and structuring the finance organization like that 
and emphasizing the people aspect of it um, has really, for me, been probably the biggest finance strategic aha moment is that it's not just about the numbers. It's not just about the data. It's really about the human connection and the, and the sort of executive insight that a finance organization can gather, can analyze, and can then feedback to, to the whole organization so it makes smarter decisions faster. Um, can, I, can I ask you about that? Uh, I, the way you described it's interesting and the type of individual that's capable of doing what you're describing, that person has some characteristics that maybe traditional finance people or people who came up through the accounting ranks might not have uh, or might not have fully developed. A- am I wrong about that? Or what, who is this individual who's capable of working very closely uh, with, you know, team members on the front lines and at the same time communicating back to you uh, why uh, certain decisions are being made the way they are. I've been really surprised by how widely applicable this idea is. Um, And I think the reason for that is that um, most finance people are – trying to figure out how do I climb the rung of, rungs of the finance organization and become a, a chief accounting officer or a, or a head of finance or maybe someday a chief financial officer. And, and I think on that climb, one of the hardest things for finance executives to get is real familiarity with the business decision-making, which, which as you rise in the financial organization, you, you realize, like, we're just here to – we're not just here to report the numbers. We're, we're here to support and, and provide navigation to the pilots of the business. And um, so what I've, it, it's, it's been really interesting to me. All walks of, of, of life within the finance organization seem to benefit from, and, and I've really been surprised, most people really enjoy the opportunity when they're pushed closer to the business um, to build that knowledge, that familiarity, that experience. Uh, oh, yeah, I saw this happen when we changed the commission structure. I saw what happened to the sales force, and I heard it firsthand through, you know, the conversations and the meetings, not just through the stats. Um, and, and that provides, I guess, one of the things that this, this idea is, it, it helps uh, finance executives develop judgment um, and insight. And uh, it, I, I think... Many, most finance folks are wanting to complement their analytical skills and their quantitative skills with those judgment skills um, and, and that real business experience. So um, I, I, I understand your question. Uh, maybe this is unfamiliar to many people who wind up in finance. I've actually found, even for the people who say, oh, I don't really want this, uh, Maybe a year into the, the push that I put behind them to get closer to the business, people come back and say, thank you. Um, I've really grown a lot. Um, I'm, I'm, at some point in your career, you're not going to get any better at adding numbers together or multiplying numbers. Uh, but there's always something you can learn about the sort of human side and the, and the sort of real-world customer side of the business. And, and so I, I found it to be uh, – Pretty widely applicable, actually. Now, do they, and again, uh, we've heard it in different ways, uh, embedding people in the business. Do they, uh, they report to you, but they might be a dotted line to a, a local manager or, or, or uh, if it's uh, specific to a geography or, or no? Yeah, that's what I've tried to do. Um, and so I've said, hey, 
you report to me, and I want you to radio back to me everything that you're seeing and everything that you're hearing. Um, and then, you know, I typically structure the finance meeting with a very specific cadence to collect that information. Um, if I'm not, if it's something big isn't happening and they're not picking up the phone fast to let me know, um, well, there's that's okay because I know there's a weekly or biweekly check-in to, to gather that information. But yeah, I, I tell these people like, you report to me, but you serve that business leader, and I want you sitting next to them. Uh, I'd like you going to just about every meeting that they're going to. I'd like whenever they whenever they ask themselves a question, they share that question with you. And I'd like you to be able to bring up to them some agenda-setting questions. You know, you're looking at the numbers, and you should be able to say, hey, i got to flag this for you uh, because these numbers are looking great, and we should pour more gas on it, or these numbers are not looking great. We need to go triage uh, and figure out what we're going to do about them. So it is very much that dotted line. Um, and ultimately, uh, it's it's – I've found that many of the people that I've put in this position have, frankly, formed closer relationships with the business partner that they support um, on a day-to-day basis than they have with the rest of the finance organization. But that closeness has helped them become leaders across the finance organization and really strengthen the overall kind of cachet and brand visibility of the finance org. I mean, ultimately, I would say I, I tell my team, like, I would like the finance team to be to be one where. Anybody who's faced making a decision in the company thinks, I, I would be better served if I had my finance partner along my side while I'm making this decision. Um, and, you know, I don't want them to feel like they can't make a decision about the finance team, but I want them to feel like if finance was there, they'd make a better decision. Uh, and, uh, and in setting that goal, I have found that, um, that, that uh, we develop pretty close relationships between the distributed finance group and the business leaders. Hi, it's Jack. We're pleased and excited to let you know we have published our very first book, The CFO Yearbook 2020, where we selected 100 finance leaders who we had spoken to over the last year and boiled down what they shared with us into 100 CFO profiles. You can find The CFO Yearbook 2020 on Amazon or visit cfothoughtleader.com. Don't go anywhere. We're about to enter the mentoring round with CFO Lanny Baker after this. The business landscape is changing quickly. As the pressure to manage expenses efficiently and strategically increases, you need solutions that not only help drive down costs and improve efficiencies, but meet the changing needs of your business. At U.S. Bank, we can help. We'll work with you to uncover your specific payment challenges and bring you proactive and innovative solutions and strategies that help you meet the financial goals of your organization. Our commitment to doing the right thing for our customers has earned us the designation of one of the world's most ethical companies from the Ethisphere Institute for six years in a row. To learn more, visit us at usbpayment.com. Stepping into the mentoring round with Lanny Baker, CFO of Eventbrite. Lanny, our first question is a big one. It's, what is it that's exciting you today about finance and business? What I'm finding most exciting about uh, finance today is that uh, all the different functions of companies are really leaning on finance expertise in ways that maybe they haven't in the past. I mean, 
sales for sure has always asked finance to help with compensation structures and quota setting and monthly tracking. But what's really I'm finding super enjoyable right now and really exciting is functions like marketing. Um, as performance marketing and search engine marketing and social media marketing and retargeting become really the, the, the primary uh, marketing activities rather than brand advertising, um, there's a huge new room for the finance team to step in and provide quantitative analysis um, that supports actions and, and investments that we're making on the marketing front. Um, the same thing's happening in product. Um, it wasn't that long ago where you'd sit down as a finance person with a product team and say, okay, you guys are building this product. How much revenue is it going to generate? And they'd, they'd say, wow, we, we can't tie direct revenue from this feature or this functionality. Um, this is just good for the user or good for the, good for the customer, and the money will flow in someday. But what I'm finding is there is room, and, and product managers also are asking the finance team to help them set, you know, what should we be building? For whom should we be building? Um, should we be building stuff that will attract new customers or retain existing customers? Um, and so I, I just love the, the fact that more parts of companies today are inviting the finance organization into the room to help them set their own priorities, set their direction, and chart their course. And that's um, I find that really rewarding to sort of take our – uh, well-established bag of finance tricks, uh, how we how we solve problems, and be invited into new parts of the organization to help them uh, riddle their way through the puzzles that they're trying to solve. Uh, that's that's really exciting to me. Well, I was tempted to ask this next question earlier uh, when you were telling us about how you joined Monster as the CFO um, from your banking career, uh, because. Uh, the question is, what is that piece of advice you wish someone had given you as you stepped in to a CFO role for the first time? And I have to believe uh, this is where you turned the page and you became an operator, um, that, that you had a very unique perspective and you had, you had a sense of the role and you dealt with CFOs for many years. However, you know, it's different stepping into the role. What would you tell us? What is it? that piece of advice you wish someone had given you way back when? It's funny. I, I got the advice uh, probably about three weeks into my career at Monster when they pulled me aside and they said, you know, everything that we thought could go wrong hiring a CFO from Wall Street is going wrong right now, and uh, you need to think about what you're doing. Um, and the piece of advice that they gave me at the time was, like, you're smart. You can do analysis. You've got the value figured out in the business model. Um, you really need to spend time thinking about the people. Um, you need to think about the, the teams that are working for you. You need to think about how you're interacting with other people across the organization. Um, and, you know, it was, it, it was, it was really welcome advice. Uh, it stung a little bit because I was saying to myself the reason why I left Wall Street was to learn about people leadership. And, and here where I was a couple weeks in getting a – feedback that uh, maybe I wasn't so good at it, but um, I've been working on that ever since. Um, the piece of advice I wish I had gotten was um, to be a really effective CFO. It's all about who you work with, who you work for, and who works for you. Um, and thinking about the people on your team, about their careers, about their personalities, about their motivations, um, that's very opaque. 
uh, from the Wall Street perspective. Uh, Wall Street has its own managerial culture that's completely different from what it takes to be effective within inside, a, inside a company. Um, and particularly in the finance role, I would say also people sometimes mistake that it's about the numbers in the system. It's not, in my opinion. I wish I had been told, hey, really focus on building a strong team, uh, building deep rapport with them, uh, understand their career aspirations, and then connect them as people uh, throughout the organization. And, and when you do that, um, that's when the CFO job is easiest, quite honestly. It's not, it, I've, I've never found that another, another chunk of data made things easier. I've always found that uh, a, you know, a, a better cared for team member, a better understood team member, a better placed team member, a better motivated team member are the things that really make the CFO job easiest. Yeah. We asked you to uh, reflect a little on your, your personal habits and your daily routine outside of business, really. Is there something that you do, uh, you have a habit or a workout routine or something that you believe has contributed to your professional success over the years, but it's really a personal habit or routine? I have a lot of personal habits, uh, but uh, let's see. I, I, the one, yeah, I'll tell you one. Um, this is kind of going to sound a little bit silly, but um, everywhere that I have worked, uh, whether I have driven my car to the building and then walked in, or I have driven my car to the train station, I have always parked in the furthest parking space that I can find um, in the parking lot. And I've done that really specifically. I've done that as like a time set aside for me to think about the people that I'm going to interact with as I walk into the building and as I walk out of the building to take stock of in every interaction that I've had with people throughout the day. Um, you know, I, I always tell my team, be careful. I will have meetings with you in my head, and I've said things to you in my head that, uh, you know, I, I think we've talked about it, but, no, you weren't there. Um, I use this, like, this habit of parking a long way away, and as I'm walking, thinking, why am I, you know, traipsing through the rain? Uh, I'm reminded that this is my time to take care of the people who work for me, to be thoughtful about my interactions. Um, and it's just a, it's like a it's a physical mechanism that causes me to do something that has really been effective for me. It's uh, it's away from your calendar and away from the crush of meetings. That to me is a, a time I have set up specifically reserved and preserved for thinking about the people I interact with. And it's really uh, it, it's a habit I still do today. Thank you. That's uh, that has to be one of the more original ones we've heard in a long time. So thank you. That's very interesting, actually, and it fits nicely with what you were just saying about uh, people and talent. Um, we are going to ask for a book selection. It doesn't have to be a business book. Uh, is there a book you, you might recommend to uh, finance people? Uh, again, it doesn't have to be a business book. Uh, we've had several novels uh, recommended as well. Yeah, you know, I, I read a lot of history books, but if I were going to make a recommendation to uh, finance people, um, you know, kind of keeping in, 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 in keeping with everything I've said, um, I would encourage people to, to go to conferences. I would encourage them to get their learning outside of a book. Um, I would encourage them to, to develop their CFO lunch roundtable to, to get involved in, in, you know, building their own finance team, you know, sort of peer group. Um, and so I would, my counsel to people, quite honestly, would be look away from the books. I mean, we can all read Good to Great, and we can read, 
what are the best metrics for, for your company. We can read all that stuff. But uh, I would step away from the book, and I would look for a live experience with people who are professionals. Um, and you could probably find some of them on Eventbrite. <laughs> okay. Well, we're up to our final uh, question, which is where we ask you to look forward finally and share with us your priorities as a finance leader over the next 12 months. Well, here at Eventbrite, my priorities are to bring focus and simplicity. Um, and, you know, I'm, we just went through our planning experience for 2020. We started with 12 different strategic initiatives, and I'm happy to say eight of them wound up on the cutting room floor. Uh, we've got four that everybody is really focused on. Um, those four initiatives had 20, you know, sub-projects, sub and those have been dialed down to four uh, sub-projects, and we're just bringing focus and clarity and simplicity. Um, and so uh, I, I, I teased the team uh, on our flash report on the 57th page. We put a little note that said, first person to read this page and call Lanny Baker gets dinner at their restaurant of choice. Uh, that was three months ago, and the phone still hasn't rung. Uh, so uh, it was my way of showing the team that some of the some of the not simple stuff that we were doing just isn't making a difference. Nobody's looking at it, and and that's what I'm trying to bring simple simplicity and focus. Uh, and and all of that is in is in the in support of allowing the company to drive long-term growth. Um, and so one of our priorities from the finance team is helping the company accelerate growth, make the right decisions, pick the right priorities make the right investments, track those, manage those, and get the payoff that will be uh, acceleration and sustainable long-term growth for the company. Um, and the, the other thing I'm trying to do at this particular organization is, is always put creators first. Um, as we're developing metrics, as we're developing our financial uh, measures, as we're thinking about our messaging to employees or to customers or to uh, shareholders or to the board of directors, we want to make sure that everybody sees that this is a company with creators first. Uh, and so, you know, the metrics that we talk about start with creators, um, and, uh, and that's helping us focus, and that focus, I think, will help us drive growth. Lanny Baker, thank you for joining us on CFO Thought Leader. Thank you, Jack. I appreciate the time with you. Hello, listeners. Do us a favor. Be certain to subscribe to CFO Thought Leader on Apple Podcasts. Or if you're an Android user, check us out on Spotify or Google Play. If you like the show, please recommend it to a friend. Oh, and by the way, the CFO Yearbook 2021 Print Edition debuts on Amazon this quarter featuring 100 profiles of finance leaders from our 2020 season. Would you like to learn more about our CFO guests? Order the CFO Yearbook 2021. Thank you for supporting our efforts to bring you career journeys of CFOs driving change. We'll be back with another episode very soon. Thank you for listening.